This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, hello, everybody. Here we are, a bit late, yet very energetic, to be talking about the IELTS. IELTS has been a fathomless mystery for many years, but let's talk about it a little bit to see if we can shed some light on it. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Here we are with a new show on a great topic. Uh, and I hope that we exchange a lot of ideas. We'll learn a lot. Uh, I believe this show in particular uh, can be beneficial for teachers and uh, even students. Because I believe, to a very good extent, IELTS is, is, is right now something that you cannot easily ignore. It is a very important test that, uh, as a person who wants to study, uh, I don't know, in North America, if you want to study in Europe, in one way or another, you are dealing with this test and this test has been very important uh, you cannot go study in North American uh, universities and Europe unless you have the IELTS and the acceptable band score and without which you should f- uh, totally forget about studying abroad uh, in North American universities in Europe. So it is a still a big deal for non-native uh, you know, English learners and uh, teachers and also English learners uh, because uh, it can be an uphill battle because the test, uh, despite being very natural and thorough, has its own ambiguity. And a lot of teachers, a lot of students may not know exactly what they got to do. It is, of course, obvious to take the test uh, and get a good banner score. You got to study really hard and you got to be a competent or an advanced user of the language. Yet sometimes even competent users, like very good users of the language, find it too difficult to get what they want to get out of the test and then pursue the dreams and further their studies. Again, bear that in mind. It is not something that you can easily forget about. Uh, IELTS can and sometimes is, uh, can be and sometimes is a big obstacle uh, in your way to achieve what you want to achieve as a student who lives in I don't know, the Middle East, Asia, uh, South America, etc., etc. Good. First off, I believe to understand the IELTS, they got to be talking about uh, like how it is and what band of scores there are. Uh, I mean, easily put, you are, as a test taker, uh, supposed to take the test, which comes in for skills, writing, speaking, listening, and reading. And then at each skill, you will be given a band score from zero to nine. Zero meaning you did not even take part in the test. And nine means you just did a great job and you aced the test. Of course, nine out of nine is to a very good extent uh, nearly impossible because, uh, for example, when it comes to writing, you should uh, write 
uh, I believe to a very good extent, exceptionally, because not uh, there are not many uh, like uh, test takers who have managed uh, to get it done. And to me, that's kind of uh, like I believe <laughs> I believe that's kind of impossible to teach someone uh, and then help them to get a nine in writing. In speaking, the story is a little different. Uh, yet when it comes to speaking, listening, again, we have zero to nine, nine being perfect, very good, and zero uh, being very bad. I mean, not taking part in the test, but one, two, three, four, not being really good. So that is what the IELTS is, and it is an English test that you uh, might be dealing with. As teachers, you might have candidates who want to take the test, and as uh an English learner, you might be studying for the test. So to understand like what the IELTS and how this is, like how IELTS assesses your performance, I believe it can be of tremendous help just to check out uh, like what these numbers exactly mean. So when I say someone got a seven in writing, uh, I believe uh, it's important to talk about what it what it exactly means. So to understand that, I believe we got to go and talk about the common European framework of reference. Uh, it is uh, a, not like a standard that is uh, called CFR, and it tells you exactly, not that exactly, by the way, not that precisely, but it, it does its best to tell you what your level as an English learner is. For example, if you are a basic user, uh, your level is like A1 or A2, and if you're uh, if you're a good user and you're doing uh, a little better, then your band score is gonna be like B1 and B2. For B1 and B2, you are roughly like you're kind of an independent user. I mean, uh, you can do uh, like many things using the language. You can talk. You can interact with people. And to a good, to a very good extent, you can make yourself understood and express yourself almost skillfully. Uh, and then we have C1 and C2. So C1 is where you're uh, quote unquote called advanced, meaning you can easily manage uh, to interact with people and talk about different topics with both spontaneity and flexibility. And above that, we have C2 with the profession level. And in that um, no level, you are speaking as well as a native speaker does. You can talk about a wide range of topics. Uh, you are like very skillful when it comes to uh, usage of the language, even about like tricky topics and sensitive topics. And you can do it almost uh, error freely. So I believe that is a just uh, that is just a good start to understand what the whole idea of the IELTS says. But if we are to take like uh, like more steps to uh, get to grips with the whole thing and try to understand what that is, uh, I believe it's not that uh, you know bad to talk about like what exactly C one is when we say a learner is advanced. What does that even mean? Does it have anything to do with vocabulary or or does that have anything to do with uh, like how accurately the candidate speaks? Is it about uh, grammar? Is it about vocabulary? Does that have anything to do with the pronunciation, uh, et cetera, et cetera? But if you check out a few websites and if you check out CFR, you'll see that there are some can-do statements. Uh, I believe they are not that thorough and comprehensive, to be honest. Yet I believe this is all you got. <laughs> so let's see what that is, for example. For example, when it comes to speaking, uh, the can-do statement for C1 level suggests that the candidate can express themselves fluently and spontaneously without much obvious searching for expressions. So in this very case, the learner, the candidate, can speak with spontaneity. So the learner can talk easily and is not under a lot of pressure. And, and the whole talk is very smooth, meaning that's very fluent. And then when it comes to 
for example, like sentences and how good the sentences are uh, and the language is, the learner has a good command of a broad range of language, allowing themselves to express themselves clearly and appropriately. So as you can see, uh, when it comes to C1, C1, the advanced level, does not easily does not easily suggest that you should use this grammar, you should use uh, those uh, words, and you should uh, have like this level of pronunciation and accuracy. Uh, in fact, what C1 does, C1, uh, the definition for C1 is almost as vague as uh, what the definition of C2. But altogether, you know, the level C1 suggests that the learner is a very good user and there is a spontaneity in his or her uh, speech. There is flexibility. The learner can talk and interact fluently and fluidly and smoothly. The learner is not under a lot of pressure talking. The learner's uh, sentences are to a very good extent accurate. And if there are mistakes, first, they are very few. Uh, second, they do not hinder, uh, they do not hinder the flow of conversation. So this is helpful. As I told you before, it's not as comprehensive and comprehensible as you want it, but it can also help us in a way that we understand that uh, using a bunch of advanced words won't necessarily make you an advanced user. So if you are using big words, fancy words, and hoping that uh, you might be perceived as advanced, apparently, it is palpably wrong. So people on the internet who uh, simply recommend uh, using very big fancy words uh, are either not are either blatant liars or they have no idea what they're talking about because if you check this out we do not have like really big fancy words we have for example candidate can consistently maintain a high level of grammatical accuracy but we do not have very sophisticated crazy sentences that the candidate ought to use we also do not have something like the candidate should do this and should use a bunch of idioms there's nothing like that indeed in return uh, the candidate can interact skillfully by selecting a suitable phrase from a range of discourse in order to contribute appropriately. As you see, that has nothing to do with that. That's the reason I believe a lot of learners find the test of putting, and they might also think the test is unfair. I do not think so, honestly. I believe it's not. It's not unfair. I believe more often than not, uh, test takers get what they deserve. And I have heard a lot people say, oh, I used many good words and complex sentences, but my banner score wasn't what I wanted. My answer is simple. I say, okay, cool. I mean, good words are, of course, helpful. Complex sentences, yeah, that's what native uh, speakers or advanced users uh, do. That's, that's really good. Yet that's not what you only need. No, gra advanced grammar, sophisticated words per se, cannot uh, signify the fact and suggest that you're an advanced user because you got to use them skillfully and you got to show that you know these words in a way that you can use them in the right context with the right intonation with the right meaning uh, knowing a word merely i believe uh, won't come in uh, come in that handy because it's super simple you can easily memorize uh, a bunch of words, and then you can easily use them. So, so that's not what apparently the test takers uh, should do. So, more often than not, I believe that that's the case. And and again, there's also one more thing. A lot of test takers uh, simply think that uh, it is too easy to go from band score six to band score seven. And they might find that, oh, that's not, that is just only a band score. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, it, is, it is easy to pull that off, which is in practice uh, wrong. No, it takes a lot of time. Uh, 
Cambridge apparently presents something that's called the CFR table and guided learning hours. They believe uh, if a candidate, for example, is uh, is B2, like upper intermediate or something or intermediate, the, this candidate approximately needs 700, uh, three, I'm sorry, 300 to, 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 to uh, like 400 hours of guided learning to reach C1. So I hope you're noticing that there is a huge gap. Uh, and the gap is, is like really huge because uh, in order to uh, go from B1 to B2, you do not have this uh, like many hours to cover. <laughs> but from B2 to C1, you have a lot of work to do. And, and that shows from 5 to 6, you know, when you're talking about the IELTS, from 5 to 6, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal still, don't get me wrong. That's, of course, a problem. But it is, to a very good extent, surmountable. Like 200 hours can help you out, get it done. But from 6 to 7, you need 300 hours of guided learning, which is, like, any way you slice it, it's no easy, no easy at all. So hoping and thinking and assuming that I can study for a good uh, two months and then get it done, get it done, is not just not just bad. It is just a palpably wrong plan, which can be off-putting and it's going to be um, to a very good extent distressing and disappointing. So, what do I mean by that? I believe. We should know exactly about like the like the how the exam works, because uh, a friend of mine told me that if you want to be working as an examiner, like do you if you want to become an examiner, uh, apart from of course the qualifications and uh, like certificates, you need to have relevant experience. To me, that means they only hire teachers and and that means uh you cannot fool the examiner as an english learner as a candidate you can't do it you can memorize a bunch of collocations and a bunch of uh, fancy grammar structures to show off uh, in your english class but the same thing can't be said about uh, the test, the real test with the examiner, because the examiner indeed has at least three years of teaching experience. So the examiners are teachers. And that's why when it comes to the IELTS examiner's code of practice, test takers are not allowed, they are not allowed to advertise their examiner status for the purposes of teaching or publishing, okay? So IELTS says you can't do it. If you're an examiner, you do not, you do not uh, need to and you shouldn't say that you're an examiner. So that's why I believe if you are to uh, just take a test and get a band of score 7 or above, I believe you got to be a very good user. So why not invest the time and work hard and become a great English user. And as a teacher, I believe my responsibility is to first debunk the wrong ideas. I believe that's a great thing. And I was uh, listening to a colleague, Pauline Colin, uh, talk about the IELTS and like how uh, bad the information is on the internet and how misleading it is. And I believe she's right. I was just checking this out, and there are some YouTube videos, like 10 words to, to use uh, when you're taking the test in the speaking module to guarantee banner score 8. I believe no word, no collocation can easily guarantee a banner score unless, unless you are a good user, a very good user of the language. Yes, so use a bunch of collocations or use a fancy good grammar to just help you out, uh, get the banner score you want it. But without the basics, without the knowledge, 
uh, I believe that is impossible. So I believe that's my personal opinion. Uh, don't quote me on that. But uh, from my own experience, I believe IELTS, by and large, is a placement test. That's what I think. One might say, no, that's not very precise. But I've learned the hard way that it is a placement test. Let me explain. I believe examiners cannot stay focused for roughly 14-15 minutes and listen very meticulously to the candidates and then put down the words, write them all down, and then decide what band score the examiner, uh, the uh, candidate can get. I believe it is so far-fetched. I know we have band descriptors. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to get to that. Yet I believe it is still a placement test. Yes, we have the band descriptors. And if you go and check out the band descriptors for, for example, a candidate uh, want to get, let's say, a band score 7, it goes like this. It reads like this. The candidate is able to keep going and readily produce long turns without noticeable effort. Some hesitation, repetition, or and self-correction may occur. Often mid-sentence and in, uh, mid-sentence and indicate problems with accessing appropriate language. However, these will not affect coherence. Flexible use of spoken discourse markers, connectives, and cohesive features. I swear to God, this is not something that you can just bear in mind. This is something you learn, and then you play it by ear. You know that this band score is suitable for this candidate because this candidate is a C2 learner, and this candidate deserves an 8 or 8.5 or a 9. I like Just check out the vocabulary. Like, look, I mean, the band descriptors, by the way, right now are uh, like renewed, and they are renewed. Uh, I believe it happened in May, if I'm not mistaken. And and right now, we don't have public version, examiner version. We used to uh, have the two versions, but we do not have two versions anymore. There's just one version, everybody. Just one version, which is great. I mean, thank you, IELTS, finally. But it is, I believe, really helpful, of course. But come on, it is still vague let's check out the vocabulary yeah let's check out the vocabulary a range of structures flexibly used error-free sentences are frequent uh and uh, i'm sorry i believe i was reading about the grammar part if i'm not mistaken yeah uh, resource uh flexibility used to discuss a variety of topics some ability to use less common and idiomatic items and uh, an awareness of a style and collocation is evident though uh, inappropriate uh, occur. Effective use of paraphrase as required. I believe it is too clear, obvious, that you, the examiner is doing it, I believe, in a way, first, I believe the examiner, when it comes to speaking, the examiner just thinks of the level of the uh, candidate and then decide, okay, this candidate uh, is B2, so probably it got to get this, for example, banner score. I believe that's how it takes place. And that's why I believe it is not a weakness from my point of view. I believe it is why uh, candidates almost always get what they deserve. They don't get what they don't deserve because the examiner is just meticulously listening to them to decide how good or how bad they are, instead of counting the good words, the, I don't know, the collocations, uh, grammar mistakes, etc., etc. So that's what I think. But let's go for the news. And afterwards, we are going to pick up where we are going to live off. Let's go for the news. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. 
visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. On the 24th to the 26th of January, 2024, Bet UK is back and even better for educators. New for 2024, Table Talks empowers educators to collaborate openly and connect deeply with like-minded individuals in the education space, as well as tech user labs, the brilliant new tutorials and working groups at BET, where technology users will learn how to get more out of their institution's tech from the top education technology experts in the world. Whatever your goal, you'll find it at BET 2024. Educators go free. Get your tickets today at www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. School summer holidays are often a hot topic, but they made the news again in The Guardian as leaders in Wales appear to be considering changes. According to reports, Wales's minority Labour administration wants to shrink summer breaks from six weeks to five and eventually reduce it to four weeks. The plan would see the time added to half-term breaks in October and May. The proposal would equalise the length of terms and break the connection with Easter, by fixing the timing of the spring break regardless of when the religious festival falls. The newspaper says the plans follow research by the government which suggests that parents struggle to organise and pay for childcare over the summer. Plaid Cymru, which supports the proposal, said in a statement that the current calendar was outdated as it was designed a long time ago and that some families find the summer break very long and impacting negatively on their well-being. However, the article also points out that evidence of the harm to learning from school holidays is unclear, as much of the evidence comes from the United States, where summer holidays can be up to 12 weeks long rather than the six to seven weeks in the UK. John Hattie, Professor of Education at the University of Melbourne, said the effects from school holidays are very small and there is little reason to believe that the length of the school year has much effect at all. A study from 2019 that looked at pupils from primary schools in an area of high deprivation in Scotland and England found no effect on reading skills. In Northern Ireland, schools typically have eight weeks off in the summer, but generally have results in exams that are better than those in England or Wales. However, a 2022 study did find evidence of worsening mental health in some age groups over long summer breaks. Surveys done in Wales found 60% of parents said they were quite happy with the school year as it is. In 2013, then Education Secretary Michael Gove gave schools in England the power to choose the timing of holidays, but most schools kept the six weeks. The BBC News website reports on the Beyond Ofsted Inquiry. The inquiry is chaired by former schools minister Lord Knight and is funded by the National Education Union. The report from the inquiry recommends that schools should instead be responsible for their own improvement plans. Ofsted has responded by repeating its previous statement that inspections are needed to ensure a high quality education. The inquiry said that Ofsted was now seen by many as toxic and not fit for purpose, and in need of major reform. The removal of single word judgments was also recommended, and this echoed another report on school improvement released earlier by the Institute for Public Policy Research, 
which also called for narrative-style judgments rather than single words. The Beyond Ofsted inquiry recommended stopping Ofsted from having direct contact with schools and instead schools should draw up their own improvement plans which would make them accountable to parents and the wider local community. Lord Knight, speaking to the BBC, said Ofsted created a culture of fear in our schools. His report also said that Ofsted had become under-resourced for the high-stakes job expected of it. A spokesperson for Ofsted said 9 out of 10 schools say inspections helped them to improve. In related news, the current Chief Inspector of Schools, Amanda Spielman, has written in her final annual report about parents being increasingly willing to challenge school rules in England. She described the unwritten contract between home and school as fractured and that it will take time to repair. The report is broadly positive but draws attention to a shift in behaviour, attendance and attitudes to education since the pandemic, describing it as leaving a troublesome legacy. Full details of her comments can be found across media outlets. Teach First has celebrated its 20th anniversary, with three former Prime Ministers praising the charity's work in tackling education inequalities. According to Teach First's own website newsfeed, the charity has recruited more than 16,000 teachers to work in disadvantaged areas across England. Teach First CEO Russell Horby reaffirmed the charity's mission to help Britain's most disadvantaged children to achieve their full potential. Finally, student immigration data has been released, with Home Secretary James Cleverly stating the biggest drivers of immigration to the UK are students and healthcare workers. He further commented that this was testament to our world-leading university sector. According to data, Indian nationals account for over one quarter of all sponsored study grants, followed by Chinese nationals. The education sector relies heavily on students applying to UK universities for significant funding, but there is also political pressure to reduce net immigration. Any plans to make changes to the current system will be monitored carefully, although for now the focus remains on illegal migration rather than legal routes. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Great, great. This is Teachers Talk Radio, everybody. And you're listening to uh, the episode that I love. We're talking about the IELTS. We're talking about how we can understand how the IELTS works. And, uh, and, I, and as I was telling you, I believe to a very good extent, IELTS is fair and it can get you like it can, it can, what you get, I believe, to a very good extent is what you deserve. So, but this show, I mean, this show, I believe we'd better first talk about a speaking. Uh, more often than not, learners are like disgruntled. They take this important test and then they feel what they got was not what they deserved. And the result is to a very good extent disconcerting. So there are uh, four criteria. This is what we know. Uh, and the criteria are first fluency and coherence. And then we have lexical resource. And then we have grammatical range and accuracy and then pronunciation. So this is, these are the criteria. And that's how your performance is going to be assessed. So when it comes to fluency and, uh, and coherence, uh, bear that in mind that we're not talking about the speed of your uh, like talk, the speed of your performance. We're, we're never talking about the speed. We're just talking about first, like first and foremost, uh, if the answers are of an appropriate length, are they too short? 
Uh, do you manage to expand on your ideas? Do you manage to express yourself in a way that is comprehensible? And at the same time, do you speak too slowly? Do you, do you hesitate all the time? Do you repeat or do you make a lot of corrections? Like, how does that happen? And then uh, it, is also, it is also important, like, how the speaker uses a range of cohesive devices and discourse markers. So fluency and coherence, in short, uh, is all about, like, how appropriate the length of your answer is. Uh, if you're speaking too slowly, if you're too hesitant, uh, because a lot of people say something and then they think about it and then they change it and then they repeat and then they change it and they repeat, they correct themselves. And the whole answer to a very good extent is incomprehensible. And then last but not least, like how skillfully you, you use a range of cohesive devices that can help you out express what you want to express even better. So that's the uh, fluency and coherence. So it has literally nothing to do with speaking too fast. So you should not be proud of yourself if you're speaking too fast. Uh, you cannot simply hope, okay, I am going to speak too fast. And then as a result, uh, I am no, the examiner is not going to notice my mistakes. Bear that in mind. The examiner is a teacher. So the examiner is really good at noticing what you're hiding. Okay, and if you ask me what you got to do as a teacher, as a learner, uh, to do well in this particular criterion, I believe what you got to do first is to teach your candidates uh, first to expand on their answers. I believe there's nothing, there's no strategy better than asking them all the time why. And then more often than not, learners will have this tendency to ask themselves why. It may have a lot to do with their culture. Remember, a lot of learners are very reticent. Uh, I believe learners from, uh, like, for example, Japan do not tend to speak at length. Uh, in many cultures, it is disrespectful to, to talk at length. You are indeed supposed to respond to the questions you're asked as concisely as possible. But the same thing cannot be said about the test uh, because the test wants you to uh, speak at length and uh, express yourself to the best of your ability and then make yourself understood. So as a teacher, I believe your number one responsibility is to first help them uh, get rid of their, I don't know, inhibitions and things they hold dear that they cannot help them during a test, like speaking too concisely or believing that the shorter their answer, the better. And then afterwards, you can teach them to talk about, I don't know, reasons. You can talk about the past. You can talk about the future so that their answer is long enough. And then on top of that, they, they, don't, they won't have to repeat themselves. And they can, of course, to connect it all, they can use a range of cohesive devices skillfully and get the result they wanted. And then afterwards, we go for lexical resource. I believe uh, we have like too many myths here, like too many. And for example, there are a lot of advanced words that I believe you should never study unless you are a vocabulary aficionado. If that's what you take delight in, you're more than welcome to do it all. But this can not be something that a candidate who's willing to get six or seven speaking should do. Because that can honestly wreak havoc with the whole system. It's going to be a mayhem. I mean, you're going to learn a lot of words and your knowledge is going to be very rudimentary and you're going to use them wrongly you're going to use them badly and then the result is is just catastrophic and this indeed can first affect the students can confidence adversely and then the candidate might think oh my god i'm not good enough so i should go and learn even more advanced words to pull this off which is 
palpably wrong. And people who advocate this are honestly, as I told you before, either blatant liars or they are so unaware of what they're doing. Okay, let's talk about vocabulary. So, um, for example, if I ask you uh, as an examiner to tell me about what you do for fun, when you say, I hang out with my friends or I go out, I go walk and swim in, that's great. That shows that you can use uh, a range of vocabulary which is pertinent and related to the topic. And this is not just some random words that shows that oh yeah you can you can use the language to your own to your own advantage it is indeed a great thing so you shouldn't use big words and then hope uh since you have used them you can easily guarantee a great you can easily be granted a great banner score so uh the examiner might ask uh himself if the speaker uses a range of vocabulary like everyday vocabulary less common vocabulary colloquial expressions but I told you, less common does not mean uncommon. And uh, unless you want to get a 8 or 9, I believe you shouldn't be using very difficult words. And then also, the examiner also checks if the speaker uses the vocabulary appropriately. Uh, I told you, this appropriacy rule is uh, really important. And, uh, and it can easily, uh, uh, like, it can be like against your interests, because you use an advanced word, an advanced word, but you don't use it in the right place uh, with the right intonation, and then that is going to work against you. That is going to uh, cost you a banner score instead of helping you out. And and that's these are the questions that normally the examiner might ask themselves. So. And then afterwards, we have the grammatical range and accuracy. Honestly speaking, when it comes to vocabulary, I say everybody, please do not use Id idioms. Yeah, I know we have like idiomatic language, but honestly, please forget about it. You don't have to use idioms. Indeed, you are already uh, using uh, a variety of idioms that you aren't aware of. So forget about it. Uh, because more often than not, when candidates want to use idioms they use it in a way that uh, just simply signifies the fact that they have recently learned the idiom they don't know how to use the idiom properly and correctly and they're just using the idiom just to use them just for the sake of it uh, which is no good when it comes to grammar and accuracy what i ask my students and I, what i suggest them uh, honestly which I believe this is like, it's not a rule, honestly speaking. I can tell you uh, it is written somewhere. Again, I've learned that the hard way. So when it comes to grammar, do not use too fancy grammar, let's say. Don't use uh, like inversion necessarily. Inversion can first uh, make you make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, you just lose your 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 attention you just you, you you just lose your focus and then when you, you when you've lost your focus it's too hard to regain it so forget about inversion forget about sophisticated grammar i do not uh recommend uh using for example like words like 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 third conditional unless you are fully aware of how it works and you know how it works and you can use it skillfully so forget sophisticated grammar just please make sure that you can use simple grammatical forms with control that's what you got to be good at now, when you have difficulty making your sentences work i mean why on earth do you think you can use advanced grammar when you are hard pressed using for example a sentence in which sub there is subject verb agreement when you when you are no good at that why would you i believe I, I can't honestly wrap my head around uh around it why you would use why you think you need to use like a very advanced complicated piece of grammar and then hope that you're going to get a, get a great banner score which i believe is impossible 
And, and on top of that, you should be able to use complex structures. And complex doesn't mean complicated. I believe it is worth mentioning a few times. Uh, like, you don't have to use complicated grammar. Complicated and complex are two separate things. Like, I mean, complex sentences are one thing, and then complicated grammar is quite another. Uh, when it comes to complex sentences, at that can easily, the word that, can easily turn your sentence into a complex sentence. Like, easily, instantaneously. And and I believe people who can use that property incorrectly are good users. Basic uh, level, basic learners and elementary elementary learners can't use the, the word that properly and correctly. More, more often than not, they make mistakes using this. So why not go with that? Why not make sure that your sentences are simple but accurate? And uh, I, I believe that that is as that is at least more important than using big complicated grammar and then last but not least necessarily we have pronunciation and a lot of people might uh worry about like my accent is good or bad my accent is for example british or american or something of such uh, none of this none of this is important honestly none of this is important so forget about accent but please make sure that people can understand what you're saying. Like accent is not a problem unless it is too thick and heavy that doesn't let people understand what you're saying. In that case, of course, it is a, a big import, big problem and you got to find a way to surmount this problem. But if you're understood, forget about it. Uh, and, and that's it. By the way, you also got to make sure that your sentences, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the stress pattern, like the examiner might, and will indeed, pay attention to the, uh, pay attention to the fact that if the speaker uses word stress and sentence stress correctly, because that also shows how good you are at using the language. And then we have the speaker's intonation uh, and whether or not it is appropriate. Because when you're when you finish, for example, your sentence, uh, you're, you got to go with the with the falling uh, you know tone, no, but the with the rising one, uh, because the rising tone lets us uh, let us know that lets us know that you want to continue. But if you don't want to continue, then why do you go up? Instead, you gotta go, just you know the the the, the tone and the tonality gotta be falling. So, again, the big question: How we can as teachers help our students get a great banner score or get a good banner score? I believe our number one responsibility is to help them be good or very good English users. If they can use the language appropriately, if they if they can use the language to their advantage, and they can use it with flexibility, and they can produce sentences with the spontaneity, and they can do it effortlessly, I believe you have killed two stones, uh, you have killed two birds with one stone, because first they are able to use the language skillfully, so that's a great achievement. It's no mean feat. Second, they can ace the test. Of course, I, I'm not against being test-wise. Of course, you got to learn how this test works. But I'm just saying you should not make a fuss over uh, like knowing about the test. Oh, I got to know the test. And once I know about the test, everything is over. No, you need to be test-wise at the same time. You got to be a good, a very good user of the language. I believe that is just of tremendous importance. And for for candidates who are listening to me, I gotta say, if you are if you wanna get a if you wanna get a great banner score, be a great user, be a great learner. Uh, try to learn words and grammar and learn to talk and interact with people. Watch as many movies as possible, listen to as many, as many podcasts as possible, and then Little by little, 
you can be a competent user, a very good user. So that's it. I mean, you just achieved what you wanted to achieve, right? Yeah, that's, I believe, what uh, we as teachers help uh, candidates uh, first accept and then, uh, I believe, imply. And then apply their best to get what they want to get. So, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be talking about a new thing. I'm going to be talking about, like, uh, what you should do and, uh, like, if, if I am to give you a practical piece of advice, one by which you can make a wise decision and then bring about what you want to bring about, I believe I need to tell you that practice, in this very case, makes progress and improvement. So practice, practice, practice. I believe that is of tremendous uh, importance beyond and without a doubt. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. All right, you're listening to Teachers Talk Radio, everybody. So, I, as I was saying, I believe practice makes progress and practice makes improvement. Uh, and, and as an English learner, as a candidate, you're not alone. I believe there are plenty of teachers who can help you out. I believe that has a lot to do with uh, the sitcom Friends. Uh, in one scene in particular, I believe Rachel, who, who has like no idea what the real world uh, looks like and she's very spoiled and then Monica and others are trying to support her after helping her decide that she wants to live in this real world in which you got to work you got to pay your own bills you got to work really hard you have to pursue a career uh, Monica gives Rachel a great piece of advice uh, not a piece of advice but something that I believe can uh, make a lot of sense when we think about the aisles. Monica says, welcome to the real world. It sucks, but you're going to love it. I believe the same thing can be said about the aisles. Welcome to the aisles world. It sucks, but you're going to love it. I believe preparation for this uh, high-stakes test can teach uh, us a lot. Uh, it is, uh, to a very good extent, a marathon in which you got to make sure that you are a very good user of a language and by memorizing a bunch of words and sentences you can never uh, pull this off uh, but there are many techniques that i believe we can all employ uh, to teach our learners i believe among which teaching them like if you want to uh, answer a question always make sure that your answers are developed. Always make sure that your answer is a good one. And by a good and a developed answer, I mean when 
uh, you're talking about a topic and you're expressing your idea, you should talk about the reasons why you think the way you think. I believe it goes without saying uh, in many cultures, but in some cultures, you're not that much welcome to speak at length. So reasons are important. Talk about reasons. Uh, you can also talk about the effects of making that decisions or failing to make that decisions. Why not talk about the, the, the effects? Why not talk about them? And also, why not make comparisons? If you think this, for example, a strategy in particular can come in handy and it can be very beneficial, why not compare this strategy with something that you think cannot be as uh, helpful? And by comparison, you can easily accentuate how the the strategy you are proposing and you are advocating uh, can be more helpful. And then you can also use supporting examples. Like examples first can help your audience fully grasp the idea and also make sure that you're on the same page. Like giving examples can be really good. And a lot of people also go with uh, personal experiences and that can also be really handy. Why not talk about it? If you are to talk about, for example, traffic and uh, or timekeeping skills or something of such, why not talk about your own personal experience and then by means of which you can easily uh, like consolidate your answer in a way that your audience can understand it completely and comprehend it all. Why not do that? And Many other things can also be said. I love teaching signposting because I believe it is tremendously helpful. And by signposting, I mean like some, let's say, chunks that can help you out express uh, yourself without thinking too much about what you want to say or how to say it. For example, if you want to express your idea you can always go with like in my view in my view i, I believe is a great um you know phrase that you can start off a sentence with and it also signifies the fact that it also signals that hey express your own view express your view your view matters or when you're responding to something it is of permanent uh, i believe it is of uh, permanent importance to exactly make it clear if you agree or disagree with a point of view in many countries uh including the middle east um it is it is it is okay to agree and disagree at the same time which is you know in the isles not that accepted because uh, it makes like no sense that you agree and disagree at the same time uh so there are many things that i believe can be considered cultural that uh, they should be taught, I believe. And there are also a few things that by trial and error, uh, candidates themselves can comprehend. And and that's that's all about it. Linking words can, can also be of tremendous help. Uh, I believe teaching linking words can be an uphill battle sometimes. Because and it can be a double-edged sword because you teach them something and then they overuse it. It is uh, unfortunately a byproduct, a byproduct that you may not necessarily be a huge fan of because once you teach them, uh, for example, to use the word on top of that, they might use it a little too many times. Um, but I believe it is still worth teaching. Uh, like words like not only that, on top of that, whereas as a result and then this is due to because these chunks uh somehow they they force the candidate to talk and expand uh on their answers so i believe uh, they are good uh as long as you also make it very clear that they should not be used too many times these words merely and alone mean nothing and they would do nothing unless you use them correctly in the right place uh, and with, the, with a natural tone. So everybody, unfortunately, I got to wrap up. Uh, 
I, I got to take off. I really wanted to uh, talk more, but that's that's it. Hope you enjoyed uh, the show, everybody. My name is Hadi Fathi. I hope you enjoyed the show. We spoke about the Isles, a fathomless mystery. So right now, I hope you guys feel at least a little better about the test and about teaching it. So please uh, leave a comment whenever you're listening uh, to this show. And also let me know what you think, if you agree, if you disagree. I still believe IELTS is just a placement test. Uh, if you don't think so, why don't you let me know why? Why don't you expand on your answer, right? So thank you very much. That was Teachers Talk Radio, Hadi Fatih. And I'm going to be counting down the seconds to meet you all and talk to you all really, really, really soon. Till then, goodbye, everybody. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.